What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Welcome to Fail Better, David Duchovny's new podcast with Lemonada Media. On Fail Better, David, who has experienced both low- and high-profile failures throughout his life, explores the vast world of failure, how it holds us back, propels us forward, and ultimately shapes our lives. Each week, he'll chat with guests like Ben Stiller, Bette Midler, and more about how our perceived failures have actually been our biggest catalysts for growth, revelation, and even healing. Through these conversations, he hopes listeners can learn how to embrace the opportunity of failure and fail better together. Fail Better is out now wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. From the Jill Schwartz Memorial Library here in Sultry, Savannah, this is Obscure Season 3, Wuthering Heights. I am your friend, your ear lover, your literary mansplainer-in-chief, your boon companion, and Georgianologist Michael Ian Black just returned from the barber shop where, you know... I've never had a comfortable relationship with the barber shop. Uh, things always seem to go wrong for me at the barber shop. I found this place that I like a lot here in Savannah called Bell Barber Company. I think they're called. They do a terrific job. And last time I went, I asked for an undercut. You know, an undercut. I wasn't even really sure what that was, but it sounded cool. And I got it and it looked fine. And then this time I asked a different barber for the same thing. And then she said, uh, well, do you want the hard part? In your hair, and I said, "Oh, that sounds right." And then she kind of she kind of shaved a part into my hair, giving me a distinct Hitlerian look about me. And it's not hard to do when you go for one of these cool modern haircuts to end up looking like a Nazi, because the Nazis, for all their faults, and don't get me wrong, I think they had some faults. For all of their faults, they really had the best haircuts. Nazis had terrific haircuts pretty much right across the board. Hitler, of all the Nazis, probably had the worst haircut, and even even his haircut was pretty good. The facial hair, not so much. The haircut, not so bad. And so uh, she sort of, you know, gave me a Hitlerian part in my hair, and the hair was sort of down over my forehead as she was doing it, which added to the Hitlerian appearance. And... I don't know how you say to the barber, you've made me look like Hitler without, without it causing some offense. So I just kept my mouth shut. Um, but in the end, what she did is she put some texturizing powder 
in the hair and kind of lifted it off my forehead and it looks much better. Still, don't get me wrong, I still look like a Nazi, but less, more more just run-of-the-mill SS guy than party leadership, you know? And I can live with that. More Gestapo than anything else. So yeah, I've just returned from there sporting the latest in fascist coiffurie and feeling pretty good about it. What else is new? Well, Bob Saget died, which came as a surprise, you know, and uh, Bob and Norm were terrific friends. So we've lost Norm, then we lost Bob. And I wasn't particularly friends with either of them, although I've met them both, liked them both, although Norm was a little harder to like. He, he, was, a, he was a prickly son of a gun. But in my few interactions with him, I liked him. And uh, Bob, I think I only met once. But he see, it just seemed like a, such, a, such a nice guy. And this is what happens, I find, is that people start dying. I mean, they've been dying the whole time. It's just that I didn't know them. You know, the older you get, the more people you know that have died. That's just the nature of time and math. And uh, every day, it seems like, you know, somebody you know or kind of know is dying. Or maybe they've, you know, been diagnosed with some terminal illness or some damn thing. And it's no fun. Has that point been made before in the long annals of human history that dying is no fun? If it hasn't, let me be the first to make it. When people die, ah, that's no fun. Another thing that I did on the way home from getting uh, my hair cut is I inherited, sort of, I bought a Vespa from a good friend of mine who died, okay? This is a friend, uh, two friends who died in uh, Reading, Connecticut, in the year before I left. This was the first one. And he had this Vespa, and I bought it. Uh, I didn't really want a Vespa, but I I bought it because, you know, the money was going to go to his kids, and I paid more than I should have for the Vespa because the money was going to his kids. And, but, you know, it's basically been sitting around. It was sitting around in Reading doing nothing. And then I, I brought it here to Savannah and because uh, I thought, well, I'll ride around in Savannah. That'll be fun because it's flat and easy and be nice. And, and it wasn't really running well, so I got it serviced and I finally got it back. And then once I got it back, what happened is the wife bought me a bicycle for Christmas. So then I had two two-wheeled vehicles, the bicycle and the Vespa, and I've been riding the bicycle to and fro, because generally I don't have far to go, but the the barbershop was just far enough that I thought, I'm going to take the Vespa out, and so I did. I took the Vespa out for a spin, had a nice time getting there, had a nice time getting back, but there's no good place to park the Vespa here at my house. I could bring it into the backyard, but that that takes some effort, or I could park it sort of in the front of my house under a little overhang. Uh, which takes some careful maneuvering to get it in there. And I have to go up the curb to uh, to get it there. And it, that requires, you know, some careful maneuvering. So I got right to the house and I went up the curb. And then in trying to go up the curb, I revved it too hard and then lost control and then fell down and laid the bike down uh, and uh, in, hurt my finger. And the mirror came popping off. And my first and only thought was, did anybody see me do that? Please, did please let the answer be no. Please don't let anybody have seen me just moronically overrev my Vespa into basically the side of my house. Please don't let anybody have seen that. 
I, I, I don't care that the mirror has popped off. I don't care that I may have broken my finger. I don't care that my fresh Nazi haircut is must. I just don't want anybody to have witnessed this embarrassment. To my knowledge, nobody did. I certainly didn't hear anybody call out, are you okay? Which would have been the worst thing that could have happened. Nobody did, thankfully. So I think I uh, emerged unscathed from that incident other than breaking my finger. And so as we speak of the dead, we turn our attention to Wuthering Heights, where Lockwood has been passing a stormy night in Wuthering Heights in the unused room that the housemaid Zilla showed him to, where he had a nightmare involving Catherine Linton, or Catherine, uh, she's got many names, Catherine Linton being one of them. And then he screamed out, and Heathcliff came in, and then they got into a row, and then Heathcliff's uh, saying, why are you talking to me like this here in my own house? And then he struck his forehead with rage, and that's where we left it, basically. So let's pick it up with uh, Chapter 3, Wuthering Heights. I did not know whether to resent this language or pursue my explanation, but he seemed so powerfully affected that I took pity and proceeded with my dreams, affirming I had never heard the appellation of Catherine Linton before, but reading it often over produced an impression which personified itself when I had no longer my imagination under control. Heathcliff gradually fell back into the shelter of the bed as I spoke, finally sitting down, almost concealed behind it. I guessed, however, by his irregular and intercepted breathing, that he struggled to vanquish in excess of violent emotion. Not liking to show that I heard the conflict, I continued my toilette rather noisily, looked at my watch, and soliloquized on the length of the night. Not three o'clock yet, I could have taken oath it had been six. Time stagnates here, we must surely have retired to rest at eight Always at nine in winter, and always rise at four, said my host, suppressing a groan. And, as I fancied, by the motion of his shadow's arm, dashing a tear from his eyes. Mr. Lockwood, he added, you may go into my room. You'll only be in the way coming downstairs so early, and your childish outcry has sent sleep to the devil for me. And for me, too, I replied. I'll walk in the yard till daylight, and then I'll be off. What? I'll walk in the yard till daylight? What did he say? It's three o'clock in the morning. He's going to go out in the snowy yard and walk around till daylight for three hours. Come on, Lockwood. Don't martyr yourself. I mean, yeah, step outside, grab a smoke or something. Not going to walk around in the yard for three hours. Hell's the matter with you? Some kind of endurance athlete. Uh, I'll walk around in the yard till daylight, and then I'll be off, and you need not dread a repetition of my intrusion. I am now quite cured of seeking pleasure in society, being it be it country or town. A sensible man ought to find sufficient company in himself. Right. All right, so we're, we're chipping away a little bit at the ice of Heathcliff here. All right? I mean, I'm not going to go so far as to say he's warmed to Lockwood. He certainly has not. Lockwood has been nothing but a bother 
to Heathcliff's household since he showed up, but upon his uh, recounting of the dream, we've seen the hard stony facade of Heathcliff begin to crumble just a bit. And we've learned about his impish spirit as a child, and we are perhaps less inclined to hold Heathcliff in such contempt as we might have been before. That's just what happens. Delightful company, muttered Heathcliff. Take the candle and go where you please. I shall join you directly. Keep out of the yard, though. The dogs are unchained, and the house. Jumbo mounts sentinel there, and... Nay, you can only ramble about the steps and passages. But away with you. I'll come in two minutes. So Heathcliff saying, uh, don't go in the yard because the dog will eat you. And uh, look, we're both up. It's the middle of the night. Let's just hang out. We'll pass the time. Neither of us can sleep. We'll make some cocoa and maybe get to know each other a little bit without all the scorn and derision. I obeyed so far as to quit the chamber. When ignorant where the narrow lobbies led, I stood still and was witness involuntarily, to a piece of superstition on the part of my landlord, which belied, oddly, his apparent sense. He got on to the bed and wrenched open the lattice, bursting, as he pulled at it, into an uncontrollable passion of tears. "'Come in, come in,' he sobbed. "'Cathy, do come. Oh, do once more. Oh!' My heart's darling, hear me this time, Catherine, at last. So you'll recall from our previous episode, the dream that Lockwood was having was that uh, she was outside and trying to get into the house. She, she's saying, let me in, let me in. And, and Lockwood had said, how can I? Uh, uh, and, and Lockwood says, be gone in the dream. And she says, it's 20 years, mourned the voice, 20 years. I've been away for 20 years. And so he relayed to Heathcliff that she'd been trying to get in. And now Heathcliff is saying into the air, come in, come in, my heart's darling. Hear me this time, Catherine, at last. The specter showed a specter's ordinary caprice. It gave no sign of being, but the snow and wind whirled wildly through, even reaching my station and blowing out the light. There was such anguish in the gush of grief that accompanied this raving that my compassion made me overlook its folly, and I drew off, half angry to have listened at all and vexed at having related my ridiculous nightmare since it produced that agony. The why was beyond my comprehension. Indeed, beyond all of our comprehensions, we, we are just unraveling mystery after mystery after mystery here in this cursed home, this weathering heights, this morose pile out on the moors. And I suppose we'll do some more unraveling after a break here on Obscure. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. 
That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress-them-on-the-third-date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Back on Obscure, Lockwood being sent through the narrow lobbies to some room within to hang out with Heathcliff until daylight, better than walking the yard, certainly. I descended cautiously to the lower regions and landed in the back kitchen, where a gleam of fire, raked compactedly together, enabled me to rekindle my candle. Rekindle my candle, rekindle my candle, rekindle my candle. I mean, I thought when I read that, well, that might be hard to say five times fast. In fact, it's quite easy. Rekindle my candle, rekindle my candle, rekindle my candle. Nothing was stirring except a brindled gray cat, which crept from the ashes and saluted me with a querulous mew. (laughs) And I'm going to do my best querulous mew right now. And the last one sounded fairly querulous. Two benches, shaped in sections of a circle, nearly enclosed the hearth. On one of these I stretched myself, and Grimalkin mounted the other. We were both of us nodding, ere anyone invaded our retreat, and then it was Joseph, shuffling down a wooden ladder, ladder that vanished in the roof through a trap, the ascent to his garret. I suppose, and what proper American home is complete without a garret? There is none. Your manservant here in America must have a garret to retire to. He cast a sinister look at the little flame which I had enticed to play between the ribs, swept the cat from its elevation, and bestowing himself in the vacancy, commenced the operation of stuffing a three-inch pipe with tobacco. My presence in his sanctum was evidently esteemed a piece of impudence too shameful for remark. He silently applied the tube to his lips, folded his arms, and puffed away. And I'm glad. I'm glad that he had nothing to say because he is incomprehensible when he speaks, necessitating a trip to the appendix, which necessitates all kinds of rustling and bustling of the microphone, which of course causes terrible stirs to the audio 
quality, because I have not quite figured out how to correct that, other than to sit immobile to the best of my ability. So I'm just, uh, the, 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 the first thoughts are kind of dancing into my head like the embers of a dying fire uh, with this question, what is this book about? Now, we're still quite early in the book, so I don't expect my, I don't expect to know at this point. But here we have a man coming to stay at a new place. He has the fresh eyes at this location, this cursed location. And all we have right now is a mystery, a mystery between people, a mystery of history. (laughs) Don't quite know what this book is about yet, other than we can say, well, certainly regret, certainly guilt, certainly, let's call it the nature of mourning. The Saget family, probably learning those lessons today. A more elastic footstep entered next, and now I opened my mouth for a good morning, but closed it again, the salutation unachieved, for Harton Earnshaw was performing his Orison's sotto voce. I don't know what an Orison is. Now i got to look that up. O-R-I-S-O-N. Why is everybody in this house awake at 2 o'clock in the morning? Orison definition. Research machine is telling me I can get it cranked up. Oh, prayer. Just a Just a prayer pronounced Orison. Orison. Like Roy Orbison, but just in Orison. So why is he up at two o'clock in the morning performing prayers? What we know about Hareton Earnshaw so far is that he's a rough and gruff character, not particularly pious in appearance or demeanor. And yet here he is. And why is everybody in the household awake at this time? Now, I have read previously, and you have prob- probably read the same thing, that before the advent of electricity, it was common for people to essentially have two sleeps. They would go to sleep and then awake at some point during the night and have a little, you know, walkabout or some stirring or some something, and then they would have a kind of second sleep and pass that way until morning. So maybe this is just a common occurrence that I'm unfamiliar with. So, Herden Earnshaw was performing his Orison's sotto voce in a series of curses directed against every object he touched. Ah, so he was being facetious in calling them Orison's. While he rummaged a corner for a spade or shovel to dig through the drifts, so he's up at 2 o'clock in the morning to, to dig out the snow uh, and cursing because he can't find what he was looking for. Uh, all right. I mean, it seems a little strange. He glanced over the back of the bench, dilating his nostrils, and thought as little of exchanging civilities with me as with my companion, the cat. Well, now, if I come into the room with the cat, I'm almost certainly going to say, Oh, there's Kitty. Hi, Kitty. Hi, Grimalda, or whatever the cat's name is. I guessed by his preparations that egress was allowed, and leaving my hard couch made a movement to follow him. He noticed this and thrust at an inner door with the end of his spade, intimating by an inarticulate sound that there was the place where I must go if I changed my locality. It opened into the house, where the females were already astir, Zilla urging flakes of flame up the chimney with a colossal bellows, and Mrs. Heathcliff kneeling on the hearth 
reading a book by the aid of the blaze. Why is everybody awake? Do I just have the time wrong? Didn't he say, he said, um, not three o'clock yet. I could have taken oath it had been six. Time stagnates here. Well, maybe there's a clue. Time stagnates here. Maybe they're all ghosts and none of them rest. Maybe that's what we have found here at Wuthering Heights. So he says, sleep to the devil. You have sent sleep to the devil for me. And then he says, take the candle, go where you please, I'll join you directly, but keep out of the yard. So he's gone where he pleased, and what did he find? But everybody in the house awake, including Mrs. Heathcliff, the daughter-in-law of some son we have not met, reading a book by the aid of the blaze. She held her hand interposed between the furnace heat and her eyes, and seemed absorbed in her occupation, desisting from it only to chide the servant for covering her with sparks or to push away a dog now and then that snoozled its nose overforwardly into her face. There is a word, snoozle. Now, as you know, I have never read Wuthering Heights before, but have also uh, have often referred to my dogs as not snoozling, but snuzzling with an F A U uh, when they just sort of get their muzzles into your face to snuggle with you, hence snuzzle. And here, it would appear Emily Bronte has found a similar word, snoozle, snoozled its nose over forwardly into her face. And don't we all both love and hate a good dog snoozle. I was surprised to see Heathcliff there also. He stood by the fire, his back towards me, just finishing a stormy scene to poor Zilla, who ever and anon interrupted her labor to pluck up the corner of her apron and heave an indignant groan. And you, you worthless, he broke out as I entered, turning to his daughter-in-law and employing an epithet as harmless as duck or sheep, but generally represented by a dash. Hmm, what could that epithet be? As harmless as duck or sheep, but generally represented by a dash. You worthless... What's, what's as harmless as duck or sheep? You worthless so-and-so. I mean, I don't know what that what what that would be. Maybe that maybe that word no longer exists because it was always represented by a dash, and so we forgot what it was. There you are at your idle tricks again. The rest of them do earn their bread. You live on my charity. Put your trash away and find something to do. You shall pay me for the plague of having you eternally in my sight. Do you hear, damnable jade? <laughs> damnable jade. <laughs> <laughs> so what does he think? That maybe maybe it was uh, the younger Mrs. Heathcliff who was out there calling in the night, pretending to be Catherine Earnshaw? I don't know. But why, what's he so pissed at her for? I'll put my trash away because you can make me if I refuse, answered the young lady, closing her book and throwing it on a chair. But I'll not do anything, though you should swear your tongue out except what I please. Heathcliff lifted his hand, and the speaker sprang to a safer, safer distance, obviously acquainted with its weight. Ooh. Well, now we're back to thinking, oh, Heathcliff, you prick. Striking ladies. The back of your hand. How dare you? How dare you? 
Speaking of which, Sidney Poitier also died this week. And there was that scene going around from In the Heat of the Night where he's at the florist and he says, who was who was here? And the florist smacks him right in the face and then without even a, without even a second, Poitier smacks him right back. As if to say, uh, you're not, you can't do that to me anymore. <laughs> As if to say, yeah, well, that's what, that is exactly what he was saying. Lucky he didn't have the fella run in. Having no desire to be entertained by a cat and dog combat, I stepped forward briskly, as if eager to partake the warmth of the hearth and innocent of any knowledge of the interrupted dispute. Each had enough decorum to suspend further hostilities. Heathcliff placed his fists out of temptation in his pockets. Mrs. Heathcliff curled her lip and walked to a seat far off where she kept her word by playing the part of a statue during the remainder of my stay. That was not long. I declined joining their breakfast, and at the first gleam of dawn took an opportunity of escaping into the free air, now clear and still, and cold as impalpable ice. My landlord hallooed for me to stop, ere I reached the bottom of the garden and offered to accompany me across the moor. Interesting. Uh, the night before, the night previous, Heathcliff had basically said, well, just go or don't go, but I'm not coming with you and I'm not sending anybody to help you. But now he's saying, I'll go with you. Perhaps Heathcliff has warmed somewhat to Lockwood for reasons that are not clear, other than perhaps that he was in communication with Catherine. It was well he did, for the whole hillback was one billowy white ocean, the swells and falls not indicating corresponding rises and depressions in the ground. Many pits, at least, were filled to a level, and entire ranges of mounds, the refuse of the quarries, blotted out from the chart which my yesterday's walk left pictured in my mind. I had remarked on one side of the road, at intervals of six or seven yards, a line of upright stones continued through the whole length of the barren. These were erected and daubed with lime on purpose to serve as guides in the dark, and also, when a fall, like the present, confounded the deep swamps on either hand with the firmer path. But excepting a dirty dot pointing up here and there, all traces of their existence had vanished and my companion found it necessary to warn me frequently to steer to the right or left when I imagined I was following correctly the windings of the road. We exchanged little conversation, and he halted at the entrance of Thrushcross Park, saying I could make no error there. Our adieu was limited to a hasty bow, and then I pushed forward, trusting to my own resources where the porter's lodge is untenanted as yet. The distance from the gate to the grange is two miles. I believe I managed to make it four, what with losing myself among the trees and sinking up to the neck in snow, a predicament which only those who have experienced it can appreciate. At any rate, whatever were my wanderings, the clock chimed twelve as I entered the house, and that gave exactly an hour for every mile of the usual way from Wuthering Heights. My human fixture and her satellites rushed to welcome me, exclaiming tumultuously they had completely given me up. 
Everybody conjectured that I perished last night, and they were wondering how they must set about the search for my remains. I bid them be quiet now that they saw me returned, and benumbed to my very heart, I dragged upstairs, whence, after putting on dry clothes and pacing to and fro thirty or forty minutes to restore the animal heat, I am adjourned to my study, feeble as a kitten, almost too much so to enjoy the cheerful fire and smoking coffee which the servant has prepared for my refreshment. End of chapter three. Quite an eventful evening there at... Wuthering Heights, a distance of four miles from the Grange, and yet an impossible chasm between Lockwood's life and theirs. What a miserable house out there on the moors. What a what a sad little troop of actors occupying that manse, and all uh, of their despondency perhaps related to the untimely death of poor Catherine, who I imagine we will get to know much better in the pages to come. So, as I sip my tea, we bid adieu to Wuthering Heights for the week. We thank Emily for her contribution to our entertainment. I'm going to spend the remainder of the week, I believe, uh, trying to get my Nazi part to grow in just a smidge so that I don't look quite as Hitlerian. I mean, look, are there, are, are there worse looks? Uh, not really. I was going to say sure, but not really. I mean, anytime you show up any place and somebody's first thought is, hey, that guy looks like Hitler. Like you're not, you're just not setting the proceedings off on the correct footing, you know? And, you know, fate punished me by making me crash my Vespa and breaking my finger So now I have just the cold comfort of my ever-cooling tea to restore my own spirits as I uh, retire to my own bed because it is well past my nap time here in sultry Savannah and the day cannot continue before I get my 40 winks. So uh, let us say goodbye to each other for the moment and we will return on another, uh, uh, I don't know, fascistic? I mean, I hate to say it, but uh, on another uh, full Housian episode of Obscure. But until then, I wish you adieu. This season of Obscure is produced by me, Michael Ian Black, and the great Robin Lynn. Our theme song is by Craig Wedren. We rely on you, the listeners, for support. So please, go to patreon.com slash Black. sign up. There's all kinds of fun stuff. There's goodies. You could join the book club where we get together. We talk about the book that we're reading. Uh, and it's just a fun community. So, you know, head on over to patreon.com slash Black. And I will see you next time.